0: Hey, St. James Church, so good to be back with you again today, and welcome to the end of our very weird, very wild, very exciting, very informative, very helpful summer series called Exploring the Icons of Our Faith. Some of you know this, some of you don't. I teach at a local seminary in Toronto called Tyndale, and I was actually spending some time praying in the chapel. Now, this chapel has been rated one of the top 10 most beautiful chapels in all of Canada. The grand space is overwhelming and beautiful. The stained glass, truly awe-inspiring. And it, it actually has a 56 run from ground floor all the way to the ceiling. Well, just behind the communion table is incredible mosaic glass that goes top to bottom. And I was walking one day between classes uh, and praying in the space, I was all alone, and I went behind the communion table, and there's a huge cross there, but I think it was to the left of me. This image caught my eye, here it is right here. And it was strange, it was a pelican. And the babies seem to be feeding, but it seemed off to me. What, what is the pelican even doing in there? And if you look closely, it's actually bleeding. And why are the babies eating the mother's blood? I was totally lost. Is this pagan? Should have this even been here? Oh, and then there's another odd bird we're going to talk about today. When I've been to many historic Christian sites, I mean really old ones, 100, 200, 380, like in Rome, another bird keeps showing up. It's the peacock. Now, have you ever heard their crazy cry? I mean, it, like at the zoo, for example, it's just this wild, haunting cry. And they're wild and they're beautiful. But this image is always found in on church tombs and in old churches and actually marked the place where Christians worshipped. And I was like, why is the peacock here? That's not in the Bible. Now, both of these weird birds, peacocks and pelicans, are going to make sense in a minute. But I want to say this to you, whether you're a seeker or a skeptic, a brand new Christian, long-term follower of Jesus, these two images are going to point us to the person that has changed your life, is changing your life, and can change your life for the first time. Okay, so what's up with the pelican? Well, it started when people were watching pelicans a long time ago. They tend to press their bills on their chest and empty out what they have in their mouth to feed their babies, like fish and guts and sometimes blood. And so it looked like they were actually bleeding. Now, there's one specific type of pelican called the Dalmatian pelican. And during mating season, their whole throat goes blood red. And so that's why they started using it. Here's how one person summarizes why Christians started using it. It's not uncommon, he writes, to come across the image of a pelican, usually stabbing itself in the chest with its own beak in ornate stained glass windows or depicted in sculptures on sides of churches. Now, this bird symbol stems from a variation of a legend that circulated especially during medieval times that said if chicks were starving, a mother pelican would pierce her own chest and feed her young with her own blood. And actually the mother pelican would die of her injuries, but the chicks would survive. Another variation of the same sort of story says that actually the mother's blood revived the chicks because they were near death. Either way, both stories had such strong allegorical ties to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, they became a common symbol with Christianity. Jesus dies in our place. Jesus spills his blood. His sacrifice makes us live. The story of one death leads to many others living. Okay, but you're like, I sort of get that, but what's up with the peacock? Well, Our early ancestors chose this within their own cultural context because of what that bird symbolically meant back then It was connected to eternal life. Listen to another person as they sort of summarize uh, this idea. The peacock symbol was adopted by early Christians to represent immortality. This came from the ancient legend (coughs) that the flesh of a peacock never decayed. It was associated with the resurrection of Jesus also because once a year, they shed all those amazing feathers and they grow new ones. And the peacock, here's another example in an image, if it's portrayed uh, drinking from a vase, it was symbolizing Christians drinking the waters of eternal life by the Holy Spirit. In addition, it has that multitude of eyes right on its big fan, and that symbolized the all-seeingness of God. For this reason, Peacocks are found frequently in Christian catacombs, on churches, and predominantly on Christian tombs, being a perfect symbol of eternal life and the immortality of the soul. Pelicans and peacocks, sacrifice, atonement, salvation, physical resurrection, eternal life. All of this, of course, is the ground floor, the core foundational belief of the Christian faith. And here's the question And here's where I want to go today. Where do all of these images that the pelican and the peacock represent, where do they all intersect? Where do they all converge together in the scriptures? What inspired the early Christians? Well, it finds it finds its sort of life and its context in the book of John. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to open it to the gospel of John. And actually, John 12, 13, 14 finds every symbol and every idea I just said in one place. Jesus is preparing for his death at this moment. And here's where we're going to begin in John 12, 24. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only one single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Verse 27, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. I'm going to glorify it again. Now, the crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had been speaking to Jesus. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not for mine. Oh, and here's the line. Ready? Verse 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. See that word prince? In Greek, it's ruler. Ruler. Specifically, it's the highest official in any city or region in the Greco-Roman world. Now, God is the ultimate Lord over all things. But actually, Satan is the functional Lord and owns the earth. Remember when Jesus was being tempted by Satan, what did Satan offer Jesus? Luke 4, 5. Remember, the the devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and their splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. And Jesus, of course, denies him because he wants to be, <laughs> get it through the proper channel. In this moment, back in John 12, Jesus says the cross event was the time for the prince of the world to be driven out, for his power to be broken. The cross event is a battlefield. Jesus has not just come as substitute or to step in and to satisfy God's holiness, to take God the Father's justice on himself and cancel our sin. He's come to deal with the enemy that we cannot overcome. He's come to take the world back and take us back. Later, John said it as clear as it can be said in 1 John 3, 8. The reason why the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Well, back to John 12. Jesus keeps speaking, verse 32. And I when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was gonna die. Jesus says before his death, I have come to die and I'm gonna be lifted up on a cross. And, and what is happening at this moment? This is what Jesus is helping his friends get. Is it just me losing? No. Is it the jealous religious leaders finally getting their way and outmaneuvering me? No. Is it the Romans taking out another rival and another active injustice that will never be resolved? No. This is taking place because I and the Father and the Spirit decided this was going to happen. The spilling of my blood is for a reason, for a purpose. I am stepping in. Jesus is going to spill his blood on the cross. His sacrifice makes us live. One death leads to the living of others. Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Or John writes in 1 John 4.10, and and this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be a wrath-absorbing propitiation for our our sins. Or or Romans 5.9, sit with this one. Since now we have been justified by Jesus' blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Jesus? Pelican, it's all there. Now, let's just stop and step back and see the whole picture. If you read John 11, 12, and 13, it's filled with high highs and low lows. By this point, Jesus experienced what we call Palm Sunday. Remember, he comes into Jerusalem. There's crowds. Thousands of people welcome Jesus. They call him king. They call him Messiah. And he's going to take out the religious leaders, they thought, (laughs) The religious, and the Romans, I should say. And the religious leaders, what could they do? Well, they wanted to kill Jesus, but they couldn't do it because the crowds are with Jesus and the disciples thought, yeah, this is it. And then right when he has this epic moment, Jesus says, no, no, I'm here to die. So right after he he experiences this high, high, he reminds them like, I just read to you that actually he's come to die. And I can hear his disciples, you're such a downer. You don't get it, Jesus. The crowds are with you. God is with you. I'm with you. Let's take the hill. He says, no, I'm here to die. Then in chapter 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. One of the greatest acts that summarizes his work and the foundation of our faith. And he's, and he's serving the Passover meal. And what does he say? Here's how Matthew records it, Matthew 26, 28. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is the sim- symbol of the pelican at its strongest. My blood is going to make you alive. And in the middle of this, there's Judas, This is where he gets exposed and Jesus publicly says, you're gonna help execute me and murder me. And then if you read the accounts, it's crazy. Satan enters the room and fills Judas's heart and Jesus still washes Judas's feet, even though he's betrayed him. And the prince of darkness is right in the room. You wanna talk about loving your enemies? He's not loving Satan, but he's loving Judas. That's not bad enough. Jesus says to Peter, you're gonna deny me three times. Yet into all of that, Jesus brings hope. Jesus brings peace. Jesus brings love. Jesus brings light. And this is where in John, we move from pelican to peacock, (laughs) from cross and sacrifice and death to the gift on the other side, eternal life, immortality, real hope. Jesus had told them time and time again, I'm coming here to die. My blood will cover sin. But then they started actually believing and hearing what he was saying. Now they're not okay. And into the middle of that chaos, into that middle of coming loss, he gives them reassurance. John 14, 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. (laughs) You believe in God? Yeah, yeah. Believe also in me. Don't let your hearts shudder. Shake. Keep on believing in God. Keep in believing in me. Sovereignty is at work right now. Everything is not falling apart right now. The plan of God is on schedule right now. God, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, all-seeing, is providentially at work. Personal faith and a personal Lord brings peace. Personal faith and a personal Lord brings peace. They're not living on hearsay. They weren't trusting in someone they'd never met. He was right there, and he's like, you know what? Just like we know in all experiences, right? Keep on walking with the one you've already encountered, know and trust. Jesus is not, by the way, saying never worry. He's not calling us to be fake or inhuman. Like, distress is real. Worry is part of being human and living in a broken world. But context is king here. Jesus is saying, don't let your hearts be troubled because I'm going away. I'm with you. Keep on believing in me. And then in this moment, he declares the place where there's going to be peace. And he says it in the place where there is no peace. This is where the peacock shows up. Verse 2 chapter 14, book of John. My father's house has many rooms. If it was not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back to take you to be with me and also maybe where I am. Jesus uses home as the metaphor. And like I've preached before out of this passage, don't become so North American that you think that Jesus is building these multi million dollar mansions in the by and by. This isn't the so called, as we call it, the American dream. The key word here is home. The Greek version is abode, which means remain, abide. It's about presence. See, just write this down. It's not so much about the place as it is about the person who's in the place. And let me say it again it's not so much about the place as it is about the person who's in the place. I've shared this before. See, in Jesus' culture, in Jewish culture, when a young Orthodox Jewish guy got engaged, he'd get engaged, and then there's this thing called the betrothal period, which could be a long while. And at that moment, he'd go home to his dad's house, and his role was to build an extension on his dad's home during that betrothal period, even though he's engaged. Then he'd come back, and he'd take his wife, and they would move in to the new permanent residence. And this is exactly what Jesus has in his mind. He says, I'm going back to my dad's house and I'm going to be there. And it's a permanent residence. And I'm going to bring all of you here. That's why later in the Bible, the church is called the bride of Christ. And it's never going to be removed from you. And it can't be taken from you. And you you can't lose it. You can't walk away from it. It can't be stolen or broken because it's by me and through me. and, And it's a gift. I mean, is this not what we're longing for? I mean, have we not seen the pangs of this as we continually try to digest 24-7 news? Security, permanence, presence, love. Security, permanence, presence, love. We see this in politics and philosophy and art and music and war. And we see it everywhere. It's what C.S. Lewis called the inconsolable longing. I love what he wrote years ago. There have been times when I think we do not desire heaven. More often, I find myself wondering whether in our hearts we have ever desired anything else. It is the secret signature of each soul. It's the unappeasable want. It's the thing we desire before we met our spouse or made our friends or even choose our work. And I love this. And which we shall still desire on our deathbeds when our mind no longer remembers our spouse, our friends, or our work. Years ago, I quoted this, I want to do it again. A guy uh, wrote a book called A Place for You. And he said, "If, if you as a child have not known a secure home, it is very likely as you go through life, regardless of your home, wherever you are, you'll never feel at home. Maybe that's you. On the other hand, if you are, as a child had a secure feeling at home, wherever you go, you will feel at home. This is critical. This is true about the Christian faith. This is the heartbeat of our movement. This is true about Jesus and what he's already placed on us if you're a Christian. Jesus is home for us in the now and in the not yet. And if you don't want Jesus now, you won't want him there. If you love him and want him here, then the new heavens and the new earth are so wonderful because he is there. Remember what he said, you also may be where I am. So many of our friends and family and our culture do not understand how we live for Jesus and sing to Jesus and we give our precious money and time to Jesus and we sacrifice things to Jesus, how our whole life is about Jesus, a person we have never met in the visible. Yet for us who know him, there's so much peace and desire from him and for him. The secret of life is trusting in another perfect work, another perfect person's work, not your own. That's the pelican. And this brings the hope of peace, the peacock. We don't just want a perfect place. We want a perfect person. And he's promised to come back for us. We don't want a perfect place. Let me say this again. We want a perfect person. And he has promised he's coming back for us. If you read the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation, there's 318 direct or indirect statements about Jesus returning so we can be with him personally. Now, where is the strongest outline where the place Jesus is and what he's preparing for us? Well, you've got to go to the end. The Bible concludes with dealing with the end of history, using the most vivid and magnificent and evocative language to describe the final state of things to come. It's Jesus' best friend uh, who wrote this too. It's the book of Revelation. And we'll see what reality truly will be forever. And when we read about it, don't forget this. It's not unfamiliar and strange in an unknown cloud, weird place. It's home. Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. And the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Now again, this is critical. Uh, like I've shared before in, in, in similar conversations, sometimes when we think about heaven and we think about it as transcendent and otherworldly and spiritual and ethereal. And like I've always said, it's like cream cheese ads and everyone's floating in clouds. Never, never, never. God created the heavens and the earth and they were good. We as human beings are made in the image of God. We are both physical and spiritual. We have a body and a soul. Our true self isn't caught in here. We are one right? We're not caged in here and our true self is trying to get out. No, no. We are one. Jesus is fully God and fully human. Jesus didn't just spiritually rise from the dead. He physically rose from the dead. Uh, Capital R reality is physical and spiritual. And so the end of time ends with the physical and the spiritual coming together and being fully revealed. The new heavens and the new earth. We're not living up there, everyone. We're living down here. And at the center of this reality, is Jesus. Back to John 14. Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Hey, guys, I've told you this. I've demonstrated this. I told you I've come here to live, to die, to rise again, to make a way back home, right? You've seen me teach this to crowds. Like, I've done this for years, right, everyone? Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we, how can we know the way? Three and a half years with Jesus, miracles, raising from the dead, the sermon on the mount. They still don't get it. They still don't fully understand why Jesus has come. They just don't get it. And then Jesus utters one of the most important, offensive, beautiful, life-giving, threatening verses in the whole of history. Thomas says, I don't know where you're going and I don't know how to get there. And Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God. There's only one God. Oh hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is what? There's only one. There's no way to connect with God and get home except through me. Notice Jesus is not just a way, he's the way. He redeems us. He not only speaks truth, he claims to embody truth. He's the author of truth. He is truth. And notice, he doesn't just give out life or have life. He actually is physical resurrection and life. See, the way, to speak, the, the way he speaks is connection, the link between God and sinners. Truth, he's reminding us, he's reliable. Life, he's reminding us he gives eternal life. See, here again is the gospel expressed in one sentence. There's only God, one God, the creator of heaven and earth. And we are made in his image and we're meant to know him. And we broke his law and we walked away and we're sinful and separated and spiritually dead. And the only way back to the father is through Jesus, the son, period. This is an exclusive declaration about the uniqueness of Jesus. That's why later Peter would boldly declare in his own context in a pluralistic world that all roads don't lead to God and all religion is not okay and spirituality is not enough and human achievement is not enough. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name given to humanity by which we must be saved. How could Jesus be so bold? Not all religions, not all roads lead to heaven, only him? Well, the answer is simple. Jesus is not just prophet, priest, religious leader, history maker. He's God in flesh. The only one that can bring us back to God is God. And, and, and that's why he says in verse 7, If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know the Father, and you've seen him. This goes back to John's very first verse. And, and we've talked about it in this series. John 1.1, 1, 1. in the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word Jesus was with God in in the beginning. Simply put, look at Jesus, you know who God fully is. Jesus and the Father are one. (laughs) I love the confusion of the disciples because it's just like us. Philip said, Lord, just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. If we just see God... It's all going to be okay. See, I'm going to follow better and suffer better, and I'll be filled with more joy, and I'd obey better. If only I had a personal encounter with the Father, like Moses or Elijah, then I'll be able to keep going. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am, that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words, I, the, <clears throat> the words I say to you do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe in the evidence of the works themselves. Now, hey everyone, watch this. J.I. Packer wrote a book years ago called Knowing God. Lots of you probably know, but I've read it. And his summary out of this is so important. I I really beg you to lean in. He says, you sum up the whole New Testament teaching in a single phrase. If you speak of it as the revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator, In the same way you sum up the whole New Testament religion if you describe it as knowledge of God as one's own Holy Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child, of having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayer and their whole outlook on life, it means they don't understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Jesus taught... Everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that makes Christianity distinctively Christian and not just merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. A few years ago, I preached this, and I got a lot of raised eyebrows when I said it. When I said, if you keep preaching about Jesus and that you're stuck with Jesus in church, you haven't gone far enough. You're like, what are you? I said, because Jesus has come to reveal the Father. The Spirit introduces us to Jesus. Jesus introduces us to the Father. And we enter into God's, right, into his fullness in relationship. So the pelican and the peacock, these old weird symbols for us, lead us to incredible truth. Sacrifice, the commitment to love us, atonement, salvation, guaranteed physical resurrection, eternal life, Jesus's resurrection, going to be in a place with him forever. This is the ground floor. This is the foundational belief of our faith. And where do all these things converge? Where do they all intersect? They intersect in Jesus's words and works, his presence and his promises, because they're all found in this person. So next time you're at the zoo and see a peacock, you thank God for eternal life and that God is all seeing and all knowing and resurrection is true. Next time you see a pelican, you thank Jesus for dying on the cross and covering your sin. So let me end this series this way. Why did we do this all summer? Because we as Christians in this very difficult transitional moment needed to be reminded that A, we're not alone that actually we are connected to a global church and we're also connected to a historic church and people have been in trouble before and God sustained them and he's doing it now. Also, we needed good news all summer. We needed good news all summer. If you have not put your iPhone or Android down and cause you're inundated with news, put it away. Why have we done this all summer? Cause we need good news and all summer, whether the cross or the fish or the victorious lamb or the Alpha or Omega, like the cross, all these symbols have been reminding us we know God personally, we have the forgiveness of sins, we are loved, we are covered, we have the hope of resurrection, God is seeing all things, God is in control, we have eternal life. And by the way, if you've joined us for the first time today or all summer and you're a, 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 a seeker or a skeptic, if you're not a Christian or sort of Christian, Now you're able to see and understand what Christianity is and what it's not, and who you're invited to get to know. Remember, we might start with some images, but the images are only doors, they're not the thing. It's the person they represent, the person that makes all the difference. That's the point and crux of this whole series. Again, let me quote C.S. Lewis when he was talking about heaven, when he said, "You know, we're afraid that heaven's a bribe, that if we make it our goal, we shall no longer be interested. It's not so heaven offers nothing to a mercenary soul Uh, heaven offers nothing that a mercenary soul can desire it's safe to tell the pure in heart that they shall see god for only the pure in heart want to see catch this again if you get to know jesus here and fall in love with him here and find out how good he's here you you'll be so excited about there But if you don't fall in love with him here and accept his life and death and resurrection here and be in relationship with him here, you're going to hate heaven because heaven isn't about gold. And it's not about it's not about golfing in eternity. It's about him. This is all about about love and wanting to be at home with someone you have loved your whole life. This is the invitation for you to meet Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to be saved by Jesus to have everything that the pelican and everything that the peacock represent happen in your life. And what is that door opening event? Well, it's this, Romans 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God actually physically raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. What do you do with Jesus? What do you do with him? Let's end this series just in a simple prayer. Number one, uh, God, we as your people, most of us belong to Sanctus, but others are connected to churches around the world. We are so overwhelmed by bad news, just overwhelmed. It's so obvious why we as human beings shouldn't be all knowing, we just can't handle it. And, um, Our request is that the truth of the good news of Jesus we've heard about all summer would be stronger than all the stuff we hear all the time. Holy Spirit, we're inviting you to invite us back into good news more and more, not less and less. And for others who have not yet crossed the line of faith, we would ask, Father and Sons and the Holy Spirit, open their mind to Jesus, open their hearts to Jesus, just like Philip and Thomas needed their eyes open to understand who Jesus is. Would you do that? And then would you lead them to say, Jesus is Lord? And yes, I believe that God raised Jesus to the dead. And I do need eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. And I do need someone to cover my sin. Like, would you lead people to that place? So we're thankful for the summer. We're thankful for what you did. And now we just wanna pause and prepare ourselves. For this coming year and say lord come do what you need to do next in jesus name and we all sit together amen